We're in the middle of our series, Born in the USA. Nowhere to run, ain't got nowhere to go. And you have nowhere to go because we've got five to seven more weeks of Daniel. Some people say, oh, it's the longest series we've ever had here. But we're working our way through. I can't wait until we get into the section on prayer. We're also going to talk about prophecy. And when we talk about prophecy, I'll tell you who the Antichrist is, is and where he's living today. Just kidding. I won't do that. <laughs> but uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit. But today we continue on and we continue to see how even though Daniel is from 2,600 years ago, living in Babylon, a captive stuck there, but he makes the best of it. And he shows us how to live at any age or any stage of life, all the way from 15, all the way until his uh, mid-80s. And uh, so we're continuing to go around and look at that. Um, if you need to catch up, all the messages are online, as we've already talked about. You can watch them or listen to them, along with the message guides. And then the message guides, the blanks are filled in. Yes, some people say, so you don't have to deal with that. So uh, please, uh, please take advantage of that. Well, today we go on and we see how Daniel can stand under incredible pressure. Uh, we're going to see how he stands, why he stands, and then next week we're going to take a look at what happens in our lives or what can happen through our lives when we learn how to stand under unbelievable uh, pressures. Now, as we start to think about Daniel, we start to think about Daniel in the lion's den, uh, you, if you're I don't know how old you'd have to be, but if you've been around uh, church world for a little while, uh, you may have had a story like this uh, communicated on something they called a flannel graph. And a flannel graph was cutting edge stuff in the 60s and 70s. That's 1960s and 70s. And uh, they would do their thing and pieces sometimes would fall off. Uh, some people were really good at the flannel graph and some people weren't so good. But they would walk the way through and every once in a while somebody would raise their hand and say, wasn't that guy David last week? Because you'd use the same figures, you know. And No, this week it's Dan. So it would go along. But, but one, of the, one of the problems with this, or, or one of the observations we make, is when you think about telling some of these stories, telling some of these Bible stories, um, you, you need to make them kid-friendly. And when we make them kid-friendly, some of the heat, some of the power, some of the scariness is kind of like Take it away. I mean, let's talk about Daniel. I mean, this was the kind of some of the flannel graphs I used to see. You know, first of all, Daniel is a young guy with a beard, and all the uh, lions look like they're very happy. You know, you might want to might want to sleep with your head on one as a pillow. Uh, you know, it just goes on and on. You know, that there's happy times. But really, going into the lion's den was was absolutely terrifying. This, this was scary, scary stuff. Um, you, you were going to get eaten by a lion. And uh, it was not an easy way to go. And so, you know, sometimes we come to these stories, um, you know, Noah's Ark, uh, David and Goliath, all these, these stories which are great, and yes, we need to make them kid appropriate, but sometimes for those of us who have heard these for years and years and years, or are familiar with them, or have watched them turn into a veggie tales, we lose the heat and pressure and just what is going on. And, you know, I may not be... Um, 
uncomfortable about lions because, you know, in my experience, I'm not worried about lions. But uh, I tell you, I, I have been uncomfortable about bears. Uh, hiking in the White Mountains, uh, uh, there's bear warnings everywhere. Uh, uh, they sometimes, you know, they, you can't cook uh, where you're sleeping because they're afraid the bears will come in. Uh, one time we were out there and uh, we were bringing a group of kids through and they had these bear boxes where, where um, you actually were supposed to put your food in. They looked like a, like a toolbox for the back of your pickup truck and you'd put your food in there. And I can remember the first time coming across with this with uh, some kids who had never been camping before. And I said, you know, we know what that's for. And they said, no. I said, that's because of bears. And they're like, oh, really? What's that mean? I said, that means you get in that box when you see a bear. <laughs> And, and, and this girl says to me, well, there's only two or three of these bear boxes. And there's like a bunch. I said, it's first person's first serve. And, and I said, I hate to tell you, Jen, I'm going to knock you down and get in that box. But, you know, you know, I, you know bears, they, they, if, you're, if you're in a situation, uh, we hear these stories where people get killed by bears. So it's, it's a scary thing. And... Um, I remember one time camping out, and you know, every once in a while, you lose a night of sleep because you'd hear something moving around in the woods. And I remember this one time, I, I kid you not, I, I hear this moving out there, and I'm getting nervous, so I finally take my headlamp, and I kind of like move it outside, looking for what's coming. I kind of don't want to see it, but I kind of do want to see it, you know? And I kid you not, a bunny rabbit <laughs> went right by. So fortunately, it wasn't a bear. But you know, so, so we really need to, when we come to a story like this, uh, we, need to, we need to have the fear, the scariness, the, the incredibleness, uh, all of that going on. We need, we need to be ready almost in a sense to jump out of our seats. Um, this uh, past week, uh, I, I talked to my, my wife and I talked to my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law to watch this movie, Quiet Place, if you've seen this. It's, it's, it's not, not a terrible movie, but it is a movie that puts you on the edge of your seat. There's these aliens eating everybody who makes a noise. If they hear you, they will hunt you. Oh, that kind of, you know, that fear, that, that intensity, really, um, it should be the approach when we come to a story like this, when we come to Daniel uh, chapter 6. We really need to get back into that and really see the context of it. So I'd like you to turn over to Daniel chapter 6. That's page 618 in those Bibles you'll find around you. Verses will also be up on the screen. We also encourage you, if you have an electronic device, a phone, a tablet, to someday uh, load down version. Uh, what's great about YouVersion is it's an app that's free, and uh, they have reading plans. So if you decide that you want to uh, read throughout the week uh, just for like five days on a specific subject, you can punch that in, find it, and then it will send you those every day, and you can read along. So it's really a powerful way to really experience God throughout the week on a daily basis. So please take that Bible if you want a paper copy, uh, get version, and uh, you also can uh, look up on the screen. So Daniel chapter 6, page 618, we begin in verse uh, 1. It pleased Darius, he's the new leader, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. And these were guys that would be administrators, they would look at the taxes, they would watch out for rebellion, uh, you know, they would just watch all these things and make sure everything was moving in the direction to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. 
And one of those administrators was Daniel. And again, Daniel's in his mid-80s at this point. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So he just basically didn't have to deal with them. So these three guys were the main guys. Daniel's one of them. And... Um, and then also on top of this, uh, you had all these administrators that would answer to these three uh, key people. So the king didn't have to deal with that. And what, what's interesting, what happens is we start to get into this story, just like today, it seems that when somebody has something good happen in their lives, sometimes those closest around are jealous and they don't like it. And you'd think that it would be like, yay, Daniel, you know, you're one of the three and all of this stuff. You're 85 and you still have something to offer and uh, all of this. But, but these two other administrators weren't, weren't really into that. And all of us have these moments where, where for some reason we're elevated, we're promoted, uh, something good happens in our life. And all of a sudden, instead of uh, having everyone celebrate with us or we stand out in some way, all of a sudden now we've got a target on our back. And that's exactly what happened to Daniel. And this kind of truth goes out throughout this passage is this. When you stand, expect others to tear you down. And that's not to live a jaded life. It's just don't be surprised by that. Uh, maybe you can think of a time where something good happened in your life. Or you took a stand. And some of those even closest working with, closest people, actually didn't really like that you had this elevated thing. You had an extra responsibility at work. They wondered why you got it and they didn't, why you were favored or whatever. And, or maybe you have a ca capacity or an ability. And, and you just kind of stand out a little bit, not in an arrogant way, not in a prideful way. And all of a sudden you find uh, there are people nipping at your heels, and this, this just happens all the time. Uh, Daniel, again, in verse uh, 3, it says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So, so he's going to be the number two guy. And again, they don't like this. Again, don't be jaded. Don't... Don't, don't, uh, don't be, you know, you know, oh, I got this thing going good in my life. Nobody, you know, likes that they're all jealous. But just don't be surprised by that either. And at this, we find the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. They wanted to look through and see if they could find some kind of dirt on him. This happens all the time in the political world, doesn't it? Someone gets nominated, someone becomes this person, and all of a sudden, all this stuff starts coming out of it. And for some of us, we say, man, you know, <laughs> that's not good, but I don't know if I'd want to be on the microscope like that. I don't think, I, you know, I think they probably could find something on me that I wouldn't want on the evening news. But when it came to Daniel, they were unable to find anything like that. They could find no corruption in him. They couldn't find that he took some bribes, that he kind of milked his position for more than he should have because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So finally, these guys say, if we can't get him there, we're going to go in this direction. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God his relationship with God, the way he lives out his faith. 
That's where we got to focus in. We've got to look in that direction. And the reality is, is any one of us, when you and I start to stand out because of our faith, often we're a target. And again, that's not to say the whole world's against me and, and woe is me, and we talk about this often, being in a holy huddle and that kind of thing. But, it, but it's just be, be aware of that. And, and, and many times when you start to make progress moving forward, many times when you start to make a difference and you start to stand for that, you start to stand for what's right, all of a sudden uh, the, the target is on your back. You need to be aware of that. I like this one quote. It says this, If you're not ready to face resistance for following God's lead, you're not ready to be used by God. I can think of times where I've kind of made a step of faith, going to do something that I think God's leading me to do, and all of a sudden, other, it's just, it's just, it seems like, like I'm un, under attack. And for those of us who are Christ followers and have uh, been about our church world and have, have, have been to the library, have, have read, have you know a little bit more about God, we, we understand that we're, we're actually in a battle and it's just not against flesh and blood, that there's principalities, there's spiritual things going on. And when you and I are involved, engaged with helping move the ball down the field when it comes to God's purposes, be ready it's going to get a little harder. Some of you who are wrestling with saying yes to Christ, whether I should, in a sense, take a knee, uh, you know, admit that I need Christ in my life, follow him, uh, be prepared. Yes, it's wonderful to have God in your life. Yes, it's wonderful to make that commitment. But life doesn't necessarily get easier. If someone's sharing faith with you and says, yeah, you do the right thing, you stand out, not in a self-promoting way, but you do that, be prepared. Life will get a little more challenging. The heat might get turned up on you. Just understand that. Sometimes I have to ask myself, when, when there's no opposition, when there's no pushback, when it feels like nothing's nipping at my heels, am I really doing anything that's really making a, a difference? It doesn't mean I go looking for it. It doesn't mean that when I'm doing something stupid or weird and people are pushing back, I go, oh, it must be because I'm doing God's work. You know, you know so, so I've heard, heard that. Somebody's doing something that's just unwise. Uh, you know, they get the pressure on. They're, they're, you know, they're just acting, you know, unnecessarily just odd and all those kinds of things. And they go, well, I'm doing it for Jesus. Well, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. So, so you know, again, understand this. Think, think these things through. Now, for Daniel, there was three reasons why, at least, that, that he was under this pressure. He was standing up, and now he's, in a sense, getting torn down. First of all, and we've read about this, he was excellent in his work. And the question we have to ask is, are we excellent in our work? Uh, do, we, do we do a great job at our place of employment? Are we known for someone who, who doesn't slack off? who's totally engaged, not at the cost of your family, not at the cost of, but, but, but someone who's all in. And, and sometimes when you are that kind of employee, you, you find that uh, you start to get pushback. 
I remember one time I was uh, working at a, at a pharmaceutical company, and I was stocking shelves, and it was a big company, and then they would send the trucks out and all this kind of thing, and, and so they gave me my list of where to put stuff so then the pickers could go along and find these things, and I would put the stuff on my two-wheeler and go to the place and drop it off, and if it needed to be opened, put it on the shelf so it was easier to pick, come back, and I kept doing that, and all of a sudden, uh, like the, the director of shipping and receiving comes and goes, Dan, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I just, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. He goes, you're going way too fast. We need this to last till Thursday. Our goal is to have everything stocked on Thursday, so Friday we can just sit around and read the newspaper. But if you get it done on Wednesday or Tuesday, there'll, there'll be problems. They were upset with me for working well. Would people be upset with you for the way you engage in work? Is there excellence in the way you just do things? I love the excellence I see up here. If you come by tonight and you're dropping some kids off, you're going to see excellence. I love excellence, not cutting corners, not doing it the easy way for the sake of, 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 of just cutting out something. It doesn't, doesn't mean you, 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 you need to you know, um, not work smarter instead of harder, but, 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 you, but I love seeing that excellence. In Colossians, we read, let every detail in your lives work actions, words, actions, whether be done in the name of the master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. So that's the idea. Everything we do at home, everything we do, we do it well done. We do it with excellence. Not, not comparing to somebody else, not saying, wow, they can do it this well, my capacity's over here, so you don't beat yourself up about that, but you're fully engaged and you live at the capacity that God has made you with your talents, abilities, and engagement. Verse 26, it says, being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. And some of us have seen that. Some of us have been a part of that. And, and, and it, 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 actually, it actually is not a good thing. It hurts. It hurts. In our world, when someone's applying for a job and, and you can't do this, and they happen to find out that you're really a Christ follower, they ought to be excited about that because Christ followers have the reputation of doing good work. But the reality is we all know that's not the case. Sometimes when I'm looking for somebody to do something and I see in the ad that there's all these like Christian fishes around, not always, but sometimes they go, why do they have to tell me they're a Christian for me to hire them? I think that's nice and everything, but I really want someone who does a good job. And sometimes I think it's, a, I have a little suspect that maybe it's because it's covering up something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Also, he had integrity in his behavior. And really, this is that idea of claimed values are lived values. Integrity, who you say you are, who you claim to be, is actually the way you operate your life and the way you live. And we're all in process on this. But at least you're in process. You're not claiming one thing, and then when you get pushed into a corner and it's going to save you money or it's going to save you some blood, sweat, and tears, you, you, kind, of, you kind of fudge a little bit, that you, they actually, you actually follow through with that. 
Also, there's this idea of embracing your relationship with God. Daniel embraced his relationship with God. This is what we're seeing now is decades upon decades of following God. It just doesn't happen with a turn of a switch. We talk about leading people into a growing relationship with God. We ought to be growing ourselves. You can't lead someone where you're not going. So we should continue to be growing. I don't know how Daniel would have fared if he was 50 when he did this, if he was 30 when he did this. I mean, I have some ideas, but I, but I don't know. At 80, 85, he was ready to face the lion's den, as we're going to see. Peter, Jesus is one of Jesus' close friends. He says, you're better off to obey God and suffer for doing right than to suffer for doing wrong. Sometimes we feel the injustice when we live with the consequences of our actions. Well, the consequences of our actions produce that thing in our life or take that thing from our life. And we feel bad about that. But uh, that, that's, that's just the way it is. But when it comes to getting put down, torn down because we're obeying, we're following God's lead, that's better than because we've, we, we've blown it. So we embrace our relationship with God. It, it, it permeates our lives. So Daniel stands out for a number of reasons. The question we can ask ourselves is, do we stand out? Do we stand out? Do, do, do people take note of our excellence? Uh, do they see our integrity? Do we see us embracing our relationship with God? Not in a self-promoting way, not in I'm a better than everybody else way, but do they actually see us um, embracing that? They see it's, it's core to our lives. It's the way we live. I can see, can tell my voice is going a little bit. Thanks, Mike. So, so they see this going on and they're, they're going to tear him down. So the administrators and the satraps went on as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. They've cooked up a plan. They're ingratiating themselves to, to King Darius. They're saying, you know, hey, king, you look so great sitting on that throne. You, you, know, you know, where'd you get those clothes? You look great. You know, you're, you know boy, you know, life is, you're, you're just the best leader and blah, blah, blah. And they just, you know, they're just building them up. And so then they get to him and they say, you know, we think, we think that anyone in the kingdom, because you're so awesome, should actually take 30 days off, take a month off and, and pray to you instead of anybody else. And if they have the audacity not to acknowledge your greatness, O king, because you are great, you, you, they should be thrown in the lion's den. And the king's thinking... You know, I am, I am pretty good, you know. Sometimes when we're in leaders, sometimes when we're the king, right, right, we kind of get full of ourselves. And uh, you can look through the Old Testament, you can look through other places, and you can see these kings that kind of thought they were deity, even though they really weren't. They wanted to be treated that way. So, so he kind of goes along with that, and he goes, now, now issue this decree and, he, and do it in, in the line with the Medes and the Persians, which means that once you make this law, it can't be rescinded, can't be repealed. And and uh, so the king said, ah, oh, shucks, you know, I am such a great guy. Oh, shucks, yeah, I guess this makes sense. Well, let, let's go for it. So he does that. 
And there's a big problem because what we just talked about who Daniel is and what this decree says is going to create a conflict. What is Daniel going to do? How is he going to navigate that? And what we see is we see that kneeling to pray is what gives you strength to stand. We're going to see that this had been a rhythm of Daniel's life for a long, long time. It was who he was. So in a very powerful uh, comment about Daniel, we see in verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs where the windows with the, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. See, this was his rhythm. It wasn't like all of a sudden there's this edict and now he's you know, marching on the Capitol steps. He's saying, this is the way I've been and I'm going to continue to do this. This is who I am inside. Sometimes what happens to you and me is that when we have an occasion to stand out, stand up, however you want to say it, and, and, it, and there's, there's some, some good motives in there, we realize that we don't have the, the spiritual substance or the skeleton in our system to uphold that action. Daniel had it. Daniel had been in process for years and years and years. And again, the question to us is, are we in process? Are those things that are catalysts for spiritual growth for us in our day and age, are they a part of our life? Or do we wait until crash time? Do we wait until we're in trouble? Do we wait until the bottom of life falls out? And then all of a sudden now we're, we're scrambling. It's like cramming for a test. No, you can't believe this about me, but I was a test crammer. And so sometimes I'd wait to the end, the last possible time, my freshman year at Liberty. Uh, it, was, it was midnight. Test is at 8 a.m., and I'm sitting down to study for this New Testament survey class. And I'm just going to cram it all in. I've got all these note cards, and I've taken a bunch of no-dos with some coffee, which is a bad combination. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just buzzing, and I'm taking it, I'm studying, I'm studying. And I, it was just cramming for the last minute. Now, fortunately, it did stick, and I did okay. But when we do that with life, we think, man, these are the tools to get me through. These are the tools so I can be equipped to walk with God through this area. Here are the tools. There they are. And we don't start using them until the problem is there. There's a big problem. So Daniel had this going on in his life. One of the ways we say it around here in the, in the first of the year, we, we offered a, a community group called Catalyst. Uh, five things to help you grow in your faith, and I'm just going to fly through these. It was just a few of us that got together, but what I thought was so awesome, or what I told them is when there was just a few of us, I said, you know, this next 75 minutes are some of the most important minutes of my week. And they're like, wow, what do, what do you mean? Because I said, if you can work these concepts into the rhythm of your life, it will change your life for." Ever. 
It will give you the tools. I didn't say this then, but it will give you the same tools that Daniel had when this decree made. He, he, could, he, he didn't panic. He didn't come unglued. He just continued to live the rhythm of walking with his God because his growth was there. It was substance. The skeleton was strong enough. The frame was strong enough to support his life in this crisis. So if you're not facing a crisis right now, strengthen the frame of your life. Don't miss the opportunity. Most of us, when it's easy going, we're just easy. And then all of a sudden, bam, now it's, now it's test day. And we wasted all that time. We wasted that whole semester and waited till midnight and the test is eight hours away. Don't do that. It's not to burden you down. It's to, it's, this frees you. We talked about being free. Uh, God frees us, and then he gives us a tool for us to live in that freedom. Some of us have experienced the freedom of Christ. We've said yes to him, but we don't really live in it, and we're not preparing for it. So quickly, uh, one of them is practical teaching, teaching that you can actually work into your life. We really try hard. I try hard. Hopefully, I get it at least half the time, where we're just not giving out information but it's information you can use that helps transform your life. So you have to sit under, you have to suck it all in. You go to the library, you read a book, and, it, and it's just not all theory. Once you've read it, it goes from your head to your heart and shows up in your life. Also understanding that there are providential relationships relationships that God brings into your life to use them to shape who you are. And you likewise do the same to others. So you say, what are some of the providential relationships in my life? Now, I can't produce this all on my own, but at least I need to be on the road to, 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 to have this happen. And, and I see, some of us can go back and we can see that person came into my life Sometimes it's a very short while, sometimes it's a little bit long. They came into my life, and because I was exposed to them, because they interacted with my life, it changed my life. And then you can even, hopefully, you've got at least one of these stories, probably everybody has one of these stories, where you actually came along somebody else, and God used you to help them and shape their life. How satisfying to make a difference in somebody else's life because you came alongside relationally with them and got involved in their life. Um, also, private disciplines. Uh, sometimes we call these spiritual disciplines. They're, they're the things you kind of do on your own. They have ripple effects into other places, but, but it takes discipline. It takes regularity. These private disciplines, there, there are all kinds of books and information in a library about different kinds of spiritual disciplines that put you into the path of God so that you grow. Daniel, one of these was prayer. Dan, Daniel was doing this. He was, he, was, he was hanging with God on a regular basis three times a day. He would stop his day, and it wasn't just praying for a meal he would stop his day and get reoriented and, and, and spend time with God. He looked towards Jerusalem. That was all symbolic. It was, that was the promised land. That was where God's temple had been before Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed it. That's where the promise was of renewing that kingdom. All those kinds of things. Someday a Messiah would come. He, he was acknowledging that by looking in that direction. 
It's okay to have those symbols if those symbols still have meanings in your lives. When it just becomes an academic thing and loses its meaning and you keep lifting it up, then, then there's a problem with that. If we talk about Daniel kneeling, I don't know about you, but there are times where I kneel to pray. It's not any magical like, ooh, Dave's kneeling, let's listen in. But it does something in my psyche, it does something in my heart to get down on my knees. Back in South Portland, our church uh, sponsored uh, immigrants from the Ukraine. They were Baptist Christians, and they, 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 there was a few hundred, and they moved into the greater Portland, Maine area. And they wanted to use our little chapel for service. And every Sunday afternoon, they would have their service. And if you stumble upon one of their meetings, first of all, you'd notice that they all smile. They have gold teeth, which was kind of cool. But uh, once you got past that, if you went into one of their prayer meetings, one of their services, you would open up the door, and they would be down, not on their knees. They would be licking the linoleum. They would be right down there, prostrate. Because they said, I, I need God. He's almighty. And again, it's not a gimmick, but it's a reflection of your heart. There are some times where the posture actually means something. So we hang with God. We spend time with him. Um, accountability, having somebody in, in our lives that uh, holds us accountable. We have to share our life so they can know what's going on in our life. You have to be honest with these things. But, but th- this all helps him. With Daniel, it was his friends. He had those three friends. I, I'm guessing that they're probably still somewhere around in, in, in his world. He had accountability. Um, also the Bible, digesting it, savoring it, thinking about it, not just reading a verse a day to keep the devil away, but actually engaging with it. Um, Cindy gets me these two coconut kinds of popsicles. One is this coconut popsicle that actually has shreds of coconut in it. And I just, mm, oh boy, I wish I had one right now. And I just kind of, you know, you know, try to savor it. And then she gets another one that's like a pina colada. There's no, there's, it's just smooth, you know, no, you know, and I, and I alternate. Oh, I think I'm going to go with the one. And actually, I alternate. I don't eat them at the same time, but I eat like two or three at a sitting. So anyway, they're only 100 calories. So, anyway, so you know, but, but, but I savor it. I let it like kind of like dance on my tongue. Mm-hmm. And I just, just love it. And I, you know, roll it over. And I like it. I like, I like both of them just not like frozen like a rock, just a little soft. So they're almost falling off the stick. But, you know, so they're just kind of like getting soupy. And, oh, it's awesome. Do you do that with God's word? Do you digest it? Do you let it, maybe not in your mouth, but you let it, you know, kind of bounce around in your head. You just kind of roll it over and enjoy all the way it tastes and satisfies. Again, it's not just a verse a day. That's a great place to start, but it gets a little bit more if we're going to have that discipline, if we're going to have that, uh, that relationship with him. So when we, we need to stand up, we actually have some substance involvement in church. You can say, oh, Dave, you're paid to say this. Yeah, I am, but uh, it is true. It's involvement in church. We actually believe that being a part of a church, a faith community, helps you spiritually grow. And it's not just to fill a seat. It's not just to, to, to do anything else more than that, but we actually believe regular involvement in a local church helps you with your spiritual growth. And when you don't do that, 
It's not because God's checking off a list. It, 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 it's, you're missing a vitamin for your spiritual health. And yeah, you can still function. Uh, some of us, you know, probably ought to take some vitamins or eat more, a little more healthy, and we still can kind of live, but, but our body's just not as healthy as it, as it could be. Uh, involvement in church is one of those things. Uh, sorry, but that, that, I can't get around that. Uh, you know, if that wasn't true, maybe I'd go do something else. So um, going along with that, you know, a church, and that's the Greek word there, was simply a gathering or an assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. That's why we, we make a big deal about the mission statement. We see that that comes from the great commandment, the great commission, and that calls us together. We're Christ followers. We assemble together. We're called out to, from, from living just a life apart from God with a specific purpose. And for the way we say it, and you've probably heard this before, I already mentioned it a number of times, it's making a difference in people's lives wherever they're at. So that pulls us together. We're called out to do that. We're not called out to do that just to feel good about our spiritual life. We're not called to do that to, to get away from the world so we can kind of like have our little place where we feel good and all this kind of... No, we're called out to make a difference in people's lives. That's our purpose. That's our drive. And again, we do that by leading people into a growing relationship, which you and I are already experiencing through God, to God uh, with through Christ. And that all involves this idea of engagement. So, so Daniel wasn't doing these exact things in this way, but he was building into his spiritual life. So when he's in his mid-80s and the decree goes out, he can actually stand up without without a lot of panic, without a lot of fear, because, because he's just there. He has that structure and that substance in his life. Also, uh, going along with this idea of habits is tithing, which is percent giving. If you're not being generous with your giving, if you're not good with your finances, if you're not being a good stewardship, that's a component of that spiritual growth. You can have all these things lining up right, but you decide not to be generous, then there's a hiccup. You're missing one of the vitamins. And if you really want to grow, then you're generous with your life, which includes your time, your abilities, and your finances. And as we said last week, there's this, idea of, there's this idea of sweat your faith, and that sounds so disgusting, but the Gore-Tex life, you have to go back and listen to this, the idea behind Gore-Tex fabric is it doesn't let the water in, but it lets the vapor out. And we get to the point where we're, our habits are such that we share our faith just by being in the room, just because that's what we sweat, I think I've shared this before. One time I had this friend uh, in Concord who was really on this, this garlic kick. And they ate garlic like all the time. You knew when they entered the room. Enough said. It just permeated from their, their pores. In a good way, hopefully a good smelling way, Jesus is to permeate from our pores. So, you know, we have these, these catalysts. So the next one is personal ministry, serving, giving our lives away, understanding our circumstances, realizing that there's pivotal circumstances in our life and understanding that. And I love this quote I came across. A bunch of us are reading this book, and uh, this was quoting it from a guy named um, Alan Redpath, and it says this, There is no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ right through to me. 
If it has come that far, it has come with great purpose, which I may not understand. And I can't, whatever you're going through, it's not to say, oh, it's no big deal to minimize it. Whatever you went through, I'm not saying that. But if you really believe that there's a God, and you really believe that he's involved in your life, he's aware of your life, then this is a part of that process. Also in this book, there's a quote from the author, Gordon MacDonald, and it says, he, he, he plays tricks on evil. And what that means is he takes something that's been horrible in your life, something that's been devastating in your life, and he can play a trick on it and use it to do something positive in your life or at least through your life. And, and sometimes we'll never understand that. But, but, that, but that's, it seems to be pretty clear. So we understand these circumstances. I can think of great things that have happened to me. I can think of bad things that have happened to me. I can think of evil things that have happened to me. And as time goes by, I can see in many of those, not all of those, many of those, how God used them in my life to actually grow me. So, so these men saw Daniel praying. And they go to the king, they, they see this man, they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they go to the king, they set it all in motion. The king hears what they're saying uh, and, uh, you know, doesn't hear Daniel first, the name Daniel, they don't drop that first. And he goes, yes, that's supposed to be happening. Then all of a sudden they say to the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to, your, to, you, to, to you, your majesty, your decree, you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed because he loved Daniel. He liked Daniel. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. But there were no loopholes in the law. Then the men went as a group to the king Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, there can be no change. And so there is no change. So the king gives the order and they bring Daniel and throw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Isn't that amazing that Darius knew that? He said, "God, you, the God you serve May he rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. Again, this isn't happy, nice kitty. Oh, nice kitty, meow, meow. These, these are lions. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not, might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating. And without any entertainment, that means he didn't watch Netflix that night, and uh, being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Story ends there. I don't have time, but I could tell you story after story after story of when situations like this, and the stones rolled away, all that's left is Daniel's clothes. So you know the ending. So you're kind of like, yeah, I know what's going to happen. But at this point, no one knows the ending. Daniel doesn't know the ending. He doesn't know what's happening. You see, when you do what is right, you can always trust God with the results. But being totally honest with you, those results, the outcomes, may not be that you don't get eaten by the lion. 
There's plenty of Christ followers in Roman days. There's plenty of Christ followers today that lose their life standing out. That's not to make you feel bad. It's to make you feel thankful and to leverage your freedom, my freedom, because we don't have that worry. But there are plenty, there are plenty that have to trust God with the results. And the results don't make it into a a Bible story that ends up being flannel graph level and gets told year after year for hundreds of years. See, at first light of dawn, the king came up, hurried to the lion's den. He had hope. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you have served continually been able to rescue you from the lion's den? I hear lions go, rawr, what do I hear is in there? Thank you. <laughs> that was a pussycat one. Shame on you. That was, but but don't, don't try to do it. Yeah. Now I'll really do a lion's thing. But anyway, so Daniel answered, may the king live forever. God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And then Daniel was lifted from the dead. No wounds, not a scrape was found on him because he had trusted in God. I don't know what happened. I don't know, you know, uh, VeggieTales said there was pizza, but I don't think there was pizza for the lions. (laughs) I don't know what happened, but we know that God intervened and saved Daniel. He trusted him. He trusted him. And he knew. He knew, he knew the outcome wasn't guaranteed because we could go back to Daniel's three friends when they get thrown in the fiery furnace. They, they said, but even if he does not save us, I'm sure Daniel was thinking about that. This thing. And, you know, again, coming back, Daniel had a number of choices when he came to this moment. But the structure was in his life so that he could stand up. I'm not going to give you these six choices. You can look at them online. I'm just going to fly through them. I know some of you guys are going, can I get it? Can I get it? Sorry. But this is the bottom line. You can't stand before you kneel. You can't stand before you kneel. No matter what you're going through, no matter if it's standing out for the right reasons, if you're just under it, you're not going to be able to stand up unless you kneel. And kneel isn't literally kneel. It can be that. But it means, are you in connection with a growing relationship with God? Don't wait. Don't wait until you're thrown in the lion's den. Invest. Build up that strength now. Build up that structure now so that when the trouble times come, you can stand up under it. And it begins with a kneel. For some of us who are still trying to figure out whether God has anything to do with real world life, it takes a moment where you take a knee and you say, God, I need you in my life. I don't totally get it but I need forgiveness. I need you in my life. I'm going to believe and trust in you. And I choose, I ask for you to come into my life, to join my life. And I will try my best as you lead me to follow you. 
That may be the kneeling that you need to do before you can stand. Then there are those of us who have been kind of disengaged with our faith. We show up on a Sunday every once in a while. We may even listen to Christian radio every once in a while. But when it comes to actually engaging or um, um, getting those pieces in part of your life, integrating them into life, it's really not been happening for a while. We talked about this earlier. There's really been no changes. You can go back. I'm basically the same Christ follower I was two years ago. I'm not growing. So maybe it starts with you starting to revisit what it means you taking a knee now so that you can stand, so that you can stand under the pressure. And I will give you this. If you've coasted in your relationship with God for a while, and then you make the choice to kneel and all the ramifications of that, life isn't going to get easier this week. It's not going to get easier. All of a sudden, you're going to start to be a part of making a difference where you're moving the ball down the field, whatever that looks like for your life. And and, and there'll be obstacles. But you'll be able to stand. And you'll be able to stand with excellence, with integrity, and with a life where you're embracing your relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you give us the recipe of how to stand up under difficult times. Lord, help us all to be in the place where we're willing to take a knee on a regular basis so that we're humbling ourselves before you, so that we're building the, the structure and relationship with you so that as we live our lives, we can live our lives with excellence, with integrity, uh, embracing you, and able to make a difference not only in our own lives, but more importantly, the lives of those around us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.